0: Hi there, and welcome to Pattern ML, where Neil and I explore the intersection between machine learning and business. This is Avesh. I have a rhetorical question for you at the start of the episode. How many times today have you logged into a website or a device? Just to listen to this episode, you probably unlocked your iPhone with your fingerprint, or maybe used a password. You might have even had to log into iTunes or Stitcher to download the episode. And probably earlier today, you signed into Facebook, Gmail, your laptop, and a slurry of other devices and products. Now, we've all become used to this. Many of you are probably born into this sort of world, but isn't this a bit weird? Like, when I get home from work, and I run into my housemate Jeff, I don't try to verify his identity by asking him his mother's maiden name or what his high school mascot was. I know it's him. I know it's him by the way he looks, the way he walks, the things he talks to me about. It's just obvious. Now, this is how human authentication works. So the question is, why couldn't machine authentication work the same thing? This is a question that Kurt Somerville asked when he was starting Unify ID. And that's who we interviewed today. Can you tell our listeners what Unify ID is? Sure. Yep.
1: So Unify ID is a implicit authentication uh, platform that utilizes all of the sensor signals found in smartphones wearables iot devices and also uh, your environment as well so we look at we look at a number of factors like how you walk how you stand up and sit down how you hold your phone the signals that your device comes into contact with as you go about your daily your daily business we basically extract feature vectors from from these uh, very noisy and different signal sources, and we find correlations that greatly boost the confidence of our platform by using uh, deep learning in the back end. And the overall output is a confidence and probability score of how likely a user just performed a certain action. So, as you can imagine, you can apply the technology to really any type of service where you need to uh, authenticate and identify users, Uh, because as we all know, there's a tremendous amount of friction uh, involved in the the current state of of authentication and proving who you are, either online and even in the physical world. That's where we come in and, and alleviate much of the friction that's associated with authentication.
0: That's fantastic. I feel like this is a product that I personally really need. Mm-hmm. I keep forgetting my Apple ID password and yep. every time I change it, I to choose a new one. That's it's this right. perpetuating cycle. That's right, and you
1: and you can't use a password that's based on one of your previous ones.
0: Exactly, <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare, which really gets at my strategy for passwords, which mm-hmm. is flawed, which is mm-hmm. to reuse them. That's right. That's so right. passwords just seem so broken right now, and mm-hmm. I'm just thrilled that someone is coming up with a better solution. Yeah, I mean,
1: time and time again, it's, you know, in the security industry, human has always been considered the weakest link in the security chain
0: and that's you know it's no
1: fault of the human it's just you know the 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 rules for for password generation have just become you know as as you mentioned just too too crazy you know there was a study that was done recently that said that you know enterprise users that went through security training right to to help them create better passwords and, and and these kind of things actually came out of that training with a worse off view of their personal security. They said, you know, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to be hacked. So it's just a kind of an interesting psychological phenomenon that, that's happening. So that's, you know, that's largely where Unify ID comes in, and that's why we focus on identifying the human behind the device uh, without them having to make any conscious uh, user actions. So, and that, that wouldn't be possible without, you know, deep learning and machine learning.
0: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so what I'm envisioning here is that instead of typing in my password to Facebook.com, mm-hmm. I just walk up to my computer and mm-hmm. logged in automatically because mm-hmm. the computer knows how I type. My cell phone knows how I'm sitting. Yep. Is that is that roughly the idea? That's
1: right. So we do we do all the authentication, so to speak, before a user gets mm-hmm. to. Their destination. So while they're walking up to the, their, their computer, we are looking at how they walk. We are looking at the Bluetooth signal RSSI or signal strength between their computer and their mobile device or wearable. And all of these factors, you know, appear to be very different. But when you look at them and, and correlate the differences between them, you can actually make a lot of sense and actually start to determine intent as well. Does this person really have the intent to unlock their machine or sign into this particular site or service.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. A question that you probably get very often yeah. is, um, what happens if I come back after a night at the bars and I'm ready to start my usual <laughs> shit posting on Facebook <laughs> yep, and I'm yep. walking a little funny, will, sure. will Unify ID still recognize me?
1: Definitely, and that's a, that's a great question. I, I bring that up often at, at conferences and, and meetings as well. And that's a, it's, it's very important that we, we do not rely on one single factor right? We, we combine and, and factor in many different behavioral factors. So, you know, you go out, have a drink, that's normal. It will change how you walk. If you go and sprain your ankle playing soccer, right, that's going to change how you walk as well. But if all the other signals that we are factoring into consideration look normal, right, then, then that is a, a signal that, that we use that, yes, it is you, but something must be wrong or has changed your gait right and this happens when you get a new pair of shoes you know how you walk on mondays is different compared to how you walk on fridays so you know there's a there's a lot of different things that go into generating the the security score Uh, and it's not just looking at one individual factor
0: and then what would happen if if there was this event that changed a bunch of my factors at once
1: yeah. yeah so in the in the case that we are not sure that it's you and that means that multiple factors are saying this is not you then we fall back on an active challenge and an active challenge we consider is something that does require you know a conscious or implicit or an action on behalf of the user and that can be swiping your fingerprint, that can be punching in your pin, we have a number of other active challenges that are in develop in development that make use of accelerometer, um, so we can do air gestures and kind of stuff that is unique to the user, but still can be somewhat secret.
0: I see. Yeah. This reminds me a bit of that Google technology, where you're trying to log into a site and you have to click a checkbox that says, mm-hmm. I'm not a robot, mm-hmm. and if they don't believe you, they make you complete a captcha. Yep.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's similar. It's always you know, reaffirming that it is a human behind the device. And that's the biggest challenge, I think, in security. There's a lot of solutions that really do a good job at focusing on securing a device, right? Is this the same device that's accessing this asset as before? Were the right credentials entered into this device? But it doesn't 100% ensure that the person behind the device is the correct person. And that is the single thing that we focus on. Uh, we don't care what device these signals are coming from. We only focus on the person that's generating these these signals.
0: So I want to ask you a little bit about your team and your recruitment strategy, mm-hmm. because we've, we've done a number of interviews with machine learning companies, and there's something very unique about Unify ID, mm-hmm. uh, which is that it looks like you've set up your company as a research lab, is, mm-hmm. is that right?
1: So, you know, we knew from the very beginning that in order to build a successful business that is largely, largely able to break ground in some of these areas, is by maintaining a very close relationship to academia. My co-founder John Whaley is, uh, you know, former Stanford faculty, teaches the compilers class. Vinay, our machine learning uh, guy's uh, you know, PhD from Carnegie Mellon. We have you know we, we frequently visit these these schools and recruit interns and uh, actually a large amount of our technical advisory board are faculty from these types of universities so they really they really help us stay on the you know the not the cutting edge but the bleeding edge of of machine learning and, and even all kinds of security as well and without having them kind of providing this this conduit back to where the research is being done we wouldn't really be seen as credible to be using this type of you know research and put it into an application. So we knew from the very beginning that you know it was really critical to establish a good foundation and relationships with these uh, academic communities really where all the research is 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 driving this industry forward. This is why we set up our AI fellowship. You know, we've had, we've done it for the past 2 years where we bring in, you know, 15 to 20 uh, academic researchers that are you know working in machine learning in some some way or another and it's very interesting that they don't these these folks in the AI fellowship don't don't have the opportunity to to do this kind of research in their in their current day to day occupations and we've we've kind of struck this um, you know this chord with everyone that that they really enjoy doing this joint research together much like they've done in their studies and academia but don't get to do that in their day-to-day jobs today so it's it's certainly dri- driven our our recruiting for machine learning um since day one uh, we have an incredible pipeline of, of of talent that's coming through and, and really helping us achieve to you know what we set out to do at the very beginning and we knew that it was going to be you know largely based on
0: machine learning so that completely answers the question, and that's that's fantastic because cool. I feel like because we're in this booming period of machine learning, there are a couple of like snake oil salesman sort of machine yeah. learning companies that are coming up yeah. that are either faking it or have claims so extreme that it seems very unlikely to be able to succeed. Exactly. Um, so it's it's great to hear that Unify ID well is making efforts to, to be legitimate.
1: Yep, yeah. and we participate in you know ICML and CVPR and. CBPR and and publish papers and and make our research public. To you know, it's not just not just a closed door shop, right? Uh, we really make this this research available to to anybody uh, who's who's willing to check it out. So it just kind of reaffirms our our passion about you know this specific application of machine learning and security.
0: Yeah, I'm personally really comforted by this. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, though, who who are you justifying yourself to? Like, which which party is it that cares a lot about legitimacy?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we see this largely in the security industry. Is that, you know, any, any type of new system or platform that comes out with, you know, uh, very high accuracy rates or, you know, we are claiming to be able to achieve you know, X increases over... Some amount of time, um, it's immediately met with some some level of skepticism. Um, and this was another strategy of ours is to, you know, how do we how do we gain credibility in that security industry? And you know, we 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 participated in RSA, which is the you know the, the leading security conference. We're the first ever unanimous winner of the innovation sandbox at RSA and that was the first unanimous winner in the 13 year history of the conference. So wow. that really helped us on the validation side and really affirmed that you know people were willing to say hey yeah I can see how this works, right? I can see how you know walking down the sidewalk, you can visually see that people have different types of walks, right? And that makes them think, yeah, there are many other behavioral aspects that are unique to individuals that, that you know we can now tap into. So it's not that far-fetched.
0: When Neil and I were researching this episode a couple of weeks ago, there was one thing that really stood out. Unify ID has an AI fellowship. That's odd. They're not Berkeley, they're not CMU, they're not Google, they're not Uber. They're a startup with 15 people, and they're inviting PhDs to come to their office for a summer to do novel research and write papers. And you can see from Kurt's explanation why this is important to Unify ID. They care a lot about seeming legitimate because they need to prove themselves to the security industry. But what about other machine learning teams? What level of expertise is necessary? There's a good deal of confusion about this and newcomers to the field of machine learning. Because say you're synthesizing a new chemical You'd want a PhD in material science to work out the chemistry and the equations for that. This is not really true in deep learning. The the important questions like how many layers you should have in your neural network, or what learning rate scheduler to use, they don't have crisp answers. There's no mathematical solutions. And a lot of the top papers right now are just trying things that seem intuitive and happen to work. I see this period of time as being similar to the late 19th century when we discovered the photoelectric effect and realized that it couldn't be explained by Maxwell's occasions. Only decades later did we come up with wave-particle duality and quantum mechanics, which explained this effect. So this is sort of where we are in deep learning, in my opinion, where we have our experimental results that have exceeded what the research suggests. And of course, there's a contrasting view of thought here, which is that there are no good theoretical results for deep learning, and we're simply throwing compute power and data at a problem without any real method of organization. And the cat's still really not in the bag on which of these answers is correct. But in either case, the reason I bring this up is to say that in the field of machine learning, a PhD is not strictly necessary, but certainly would help a team. It's nice to have at least one person on your team who's done work in deep learning before. Um, This is just to know about common pitfalls to keep up to date with the research. This person could be a PhD or could be someone from industry. But by and large, this level of formalized education isn't necessary to work in a machine learning industry. Typically, you can self-learn through online courses and through textbooks. It's important here to have some sort of a strong foundation in math, statistics, and linear algebra, just so you can understand the concepts more easily. But a PhD isn't really necessary. And the other factor here is that roughly 90% of the work done at most companies that are focused on machine learning is not actually research. It's software engineering, it's reproducibility, easy experimentation, data generation, even simple things like version control. This is what takes up the bulk of your time at a startup working in a machine learning team. And only a small amount of the work is actually novel research. So the approach that Kurt is taking in recruiting for Unify ID is not necessary, though it's certainly helpful for them to justify themselves to the security industry. Next, Let's hear about how Kurt was able to recruit such a talented team. How do you recruit such a talented team? Yeah, so, you know, our, our
1: talent bar is extremely high. To give you an idea of, of the, the flow that we've had since, since January, it's, you know, end of September right now. Since January, we've had over 850 applications, uh, specifically uh, having to, to do with machine learning in some way. Our bar is very high. It's a, it's a perfect blend of people with industry experience and also people with um, you know research experience from academia. And it takes a unique mix of people to be able to you know research a lot of these things and more importantly be able to integrate them and and find the right use for them in an application. And it's it's definitely a specialized skill that you know you can't just go to udemy or any of these kind of hack schools and and pick it up Uh, it really takes somebody who is passionate about tooling around with these kind of technologies in their free time right as a hobby Uh, these are the types of, of candidates that we look for to bring onto our team because it shows that there's you know real passion behind the work that they're doing it's not just because they have to do it at their job you know i think the amount of people that Will be involved in machine learning and deep learning going forward. Will just get more and more diverse, or more difficult to you know, determine who is really good talent. So it's we look for these kind of things, you know, side projects that are utilizing certain technologies, and to really build out a well
0: a well-rounded team that's capable of doing a lot of different things. So for any for any graduating seniors that are listening, yeah. what would you say to them as the trade-offs between going to academia and taking a PhD in machine learning versus coming to industry and working somewhere like Unify ID? Yeah, that's a
1: that's a that's that's a tough one. I mean, this is why we we opened up our you know, AI fellowship in the, in the summertime for, for students who have the summer off to, to really come and, and, and feel what it would be like to work in a startup, right? Because working in a startup is very different from going through academia, getting a PhD, and then going and joining a, a much larger company that's that might be more established in a, in a given space. Because things, you know, things are very loosely organized at startups. They ha- they can change from week to week very quickly. There's not a lot of, of of structure in place, and you know, for for certain people that is absolutely desirable, and for other people, it's not. Which is why you know we we open our office up. We have you know we have gatherings, we have hackathons, we have. Uh, Programs like AI Fellowship, that we really can bring as many people as we can inside the office so they can get a taste of, of what it is exactly we do and how do we do it. So I can't recommend any personal, you know, decisions should you drop out of your PhD program, but at least send me an email. <laughs>
0: What is your plan to to go to market?
1: Mm -hmm. So, you know, today we're working with, as I mentioned before, companies that already have pre-existing mobile apps, already have pre-existing user bases. That's very appealing for these partners to be able to improve the authentication experience, especially because we're sitting kind of in the background, so they are the ones who are facilitating everything, and that's that's perfectly fine with us at this point. The business need is is really there for, for any size company, and I think even... On the hobby developer side, you know, some junior developer who's very interested in this app that they've spent, you know, many months creating. We plan to open up our API to anyone, and they can integrate our SDK with their app. We'd give them a certain amount of API calls to our backend uh, for free per month, just so that more people can really get a taste of this uh, technology. Because you know, John and I uh, really believe that this technology can benefit everyone. So
0: So let's walk through how this would work. So let's say the company I work for is Cardiogram, Mm -hmm. and we do have a problem with users forgetting their passwords. Let's say we were to integrate with Unify ID. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that all of our users would also download an app made by Unify ID? Will the technology be integrated into our own Cardiogram app?
1: So that's a a great question. It would be integrated into your own Cardiogram app. Uh, So we would function in the background as the authentication layer inside of your app every user experience would still be facilitated by cardiogram which is great for you and the the benefit to the user is that they get a, a more frictionless authentication experience and i wanted to get into the you know the sensitivity of the data that that we're collecting and, and looking at all of the data that we process is processed locally on the end user's device cuz you know we view this kind of data as almost a new era of, of private data. You know, it's not easy to change your fingerprint. It's not easy to change how you walk, right? You know, how you walk is is developed from a very young age, from the sports you played as a child, from the muscle development that you went through, you know, going to the gym at an early age, right? All of this factors into your behavioral signature that we really look at, particularly when looking at gait. So that's, that's generally how how it would be integrated into an end-user's app. Um, Yeah.
0: Great. Mm -hmm. If uh, listeners, if you hear some music in the background that's not our DJ, (laughs) we're doing this interview up in Soma on 2nd Street, Mm -hmm. Um, and there's quite a lot of street noise. It's the taste of San Francisco. That's right. That's right.
1: We, uh, you know, it it adds a certain level of of, uh, creativity, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Definitely. Inspiration. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, So you talked about a few of the partners you're working with. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is there anyone you can name or is everyone under NDA?
1: So everyone is under NDA right now. I can say that we are working with some of the largest consumer banks in the U.S., a couple of the largest payment processors, a very large social network, a very large auto manufacturer in the United States uh, that's interested in obviously getting rid of the car key. You know, this is one of the, one of the more longer term physical world uh, applications that, that I mentioned. Insurance as well as big, and also on the travel and entertainment side as well. You know, travel companies are very interested in how they can improve the travel journey from you know, the moment that you wake up and hail that Uber and go to the airport and take your flight, check into security, check into the hotel at your destination, all of those experiences uh, can be improved upon by implicit authentication. Mm-hmm. So that's the types of companies that we're working with today. Uh, and we're always looking for, for new, interesting partners as well.
0: In my mind, I'm picturing a check-in, or sorry, a security line at the airport mm-hmm. where there's no TSA agent checking mm-hmm. your ID, but I think that's really a pipe dream. Mm-hmm.
1: It is, it <laughs> is. And, you know, there's, I think we'll always have uh, some human element, element that's that's verifying, especially when so many lives are at risk with, mm-hmm. with travel. but you know I'd like to, I'd like to believe that we can at least reduce the amount of, of human uh, touches required to get to your destination. So, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. so do you have any other thoughts that um, any other things that you wanted to talk about?
1: Yeah, I think you know there's there's so many different applications for implicit authentication. We're really going to see in the next in the next five years or so a direct and tangible in, increase in the types of, of services that, that we can authenticate to. And it's going to be new and it's going to be scary to some people, but it, inevitably it's going to be more secure and more convenient for the end user. And that at this point in the industry today is what we need, is more more end-user security and more end-user confidence that their data is gonna be protected. Um, and, you know, the, actually a, a, a positive is that many of the, the companies we do business with view this sensitive data as a liability, right? They don't wanna be the ones that have to tell users that their data's been compromised. Guess what, go learn how to walk a new way because <laughs> that, that would be a deal breaker. So it's important that you know we, we knew from the very beginning we needed to architect our systems, that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we get hacked. And we want to minimize the attack surfaces as much as possible, anonymize and encrypt every, everything that we can, just to prepare ourselves as, as best as possible.
0: So Yeah, especially in the light of the recent data breaches, I could not be more excited about a system as secure and easy to use as Unify ID. Yeah, totally. So Kurt, thank you so much for doing this interview and for being thank on Pattern.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation and I look forward to the future. So. All
0: right. And you mentioned earlier if there's any candidates that were looking for a job working in machine learning yeah, absolutely. email
1: email Send us an email at jobs at and I'd be happy to set up a conversation with uh, any of our engineers and, and give you some more information about Unify ID. Uh, you can visit our website at unify.id or uh, visit yeah. us on Twitter as
0: well, Unify ID. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. That concludes our interview with Kurt Somerville from Unify ID. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to email me or Neil at hello at patternml.com. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time.